Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Genesis 4, 1 through 16. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Genesis in your Bible. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and no one who meets me, and anyone who meets me may uh, kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Um, we've been we've been in the book of Genesis, and we're we're kind of slowly making our way. Uh, we told the story of creation and uh, the goodness with which it came about. That, that God creates all of the all of the things, the creepy crawly things, and the animals, and separates the water from the land, and and the day from the night, and and eventually he, God ends up making humanity, Adam and Eve. And whereas God stepped back from the beginnings of creation and said that it was good, God steps back from Adam and Eve and says, it is very good. Uh, this, this thing that I have created in my own image is very, very good. And uh, we, we said that being created in the image of God was, uh, was for a purpose, that, that we were created in the image of God, maybe not necessarily in our physical form, but in, in a way that allowed us and enabled us to live in a significant relationship with the God who created us. Uh, we, we use the image of a dance, that, right? That, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, uh, exists in this, this circle dance of love and mutuality and, and deference to each other, and that the Holy Spirit comes and he draws us into that relationship. Uh, and that we end up kind of dancing with God. And, and uh, so we're created in the image of God so that we can dance with God. That's kind of the image that's, that, that I've been working with for a long time anyway. And, and so we are, we are profoundly connected to the God who created us. Well, that doesn't last very long because we, we uh, 
fast forward a little bit and, and there's this tree that they're not supposed to eat of and there's this talking snake which is problematic and uh, the snake was like, did God say you really couldn't eat of anything? And Eve is like, no, she just said we couldn't eat of that one that you're standing beside or we'll die. And the serpent's like, no, you won't die but you'll be like God. God really doesn't have your best interests in mind. He's holding out on you. And so Eve takes the fruit and she eats it and she gives some to her husband and things break. And the relationship that, that Adam and Eve had with, with God begins to fall apart. They, they try to hide themselves. And well, you can't hide from God, right? That's kind of a, a big plot point in, uh, in this whole book we're, we're talking about. Uh, and, and they try to cover themselves up because they were naked. And they, they, they weren't ashamed before, but they are now. And, and things just get broken. And, and creation itself begins to break. Not only have Adam and Eve broken the relationship that they have with God, but but they've broken the relationship that they have with, have with each other. And, and we begin to see this snowball as we go through the first couple of chapters in the book of Genesis. Well, we get to uh, this week, and we are told that Adam and Eve have, uh, have two children. Cain, who ends up being a, uh, a farmer, right? He uh, works the land and grows things. And we have Abel, who is a shepherd. He herds things and... Uh, Two boys, and they're all one big happy family. Now, um, one thing I have to say is that I think, I think before we look at this passage, that uh, the Bible, and we've said this before, often raises more questions than it, than it answers. Like, we, we go through the creation story, and we're like, well, exactly how did this all happen? We go to the, the story of Adam and Eve and the talking snake, and we're like, what in the world was a talking snake doing in, in the garden? Did all animals talk? Um, and I don't know. Uh, we get to this story, and, and we just have a lot more answers. We have uh, questions like, why doesn't God like Cain's sacrifice? Why doesn't Cain master the sin looking at his door? What's the mark Cain receives as a warning to those who would do him harm? Why isn't Cain's consequence more significant? Uh, We'll try to answer some of these questions, but a lot of them will just kind of hang out and uh, cause a little bit of tension for us as we we look at this passage. Um, I think we have to remember, as we look at this, that the purpose of Scripture is not always to answer all of our questions. The purpose of Scripture is to reveal to us the character and nature of God. So we always kind of ask ourselves of a particular passage of Scripture, who is God as this passage reveals? And I want to say this at the very, very beginning, that even though this passage contains murder and anger, Uh, that this passage is ultimately a story of God's grace and mercy. And it has tremendous things to say about who God is, and it has tremendous things to say about who God is calling us to become and what God is calling us to do. Well, um, we pick up after the, uh, well, I, I skipped this part. Adam and Eve get banished from the garden after their little, fruit debacle, and so they're not able to live there anymore, and uh, so the perfectness is gone, and they, they have the two boys, right? I, I imagine, though, that they have lots of other children, uh, because two boys is, is chaos in itself, but um, it, 
there was no birth control. So, you know, things happen. And uh, so we don't know exactly how all of this is, and we don't know what God has told them about how to, how to live in the world. Uh, obviously, they have come up with this idea that they need to offer sacrifices to God. Uh, that, that worship of the God who created them and, and whom's, in whose image they are made uh, and whose relationship hopefully they have begun to have, it seems that way anyway from the, the story, that, that some kind of worshipful act is, is required or needed. So you have Cain, the farmer, and he goes out and he tills the land and he brings uh, he brings part of his produce and offers it as an act of worship to God. And you have Cable, and he go, Abel, he goes out and he slaughters one of, the, one of the herd that he has kept and he brings the, the, the best parts and he offers it as an wor- act of worship to God. Now, uh, I'm sure they're, they're both doing what they're supposed to do, what, what mom and dad told them to do. Uh, but we get into the story and... Uh, we are told that God doesn't like Cain's sacrifice. But we're not told why. Like it was just, I don't know, if he didn't do it right, he brought asparagus instead of green beans or wheat instead of oats, I don't know. Uh, for whatever reason, it, it probably had more to do with like, his heart and what he was thinking and feeling. And uh, By the way, sibling rivalry in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is a theme. Like there, there's all sorts of tension that happens between older brothers and younger brothers and, and <laughs> shaking your head. <laughs> Izzy's back there. Yes, yes, tension between my siblings and me. Uh, we've all been there, right? Uh, anyway, that becomes, becomes kind of a theme. Uh, Joseph and his brothers, the, the sons of of. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. And then uh, Cain, or, um, Jacob and Esau, that's, that's one of them too. And just all over the place, this is a thing. Anyway, um, so they offer their ac- uh, sacrifice, and, and God likes Abel's, and he doesn't necessarily like Cain's. And this makes Cain, understandably so, a little upset. Um, have, you ever, have you ever, like, said something to someone and immediately, face changes like you know you have done them harm because it's like right have have you ever done that okay you guys aren't very responsive today and that's fine Uh, I have in fact I I probably do it to my children more often than I should uh, when I get a little exasperated right or or a friend or even to Lori and I you know I put my foot in my mouth and facial expressions change and you should know that they're in the terms of the text, their countenance has fallen. Uh, God says to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Uh, why have you, this shouldn't seem like a surprise to you. At least I, I feel like that's the gist of what God is saying to, to Cain. He's like, I, I don't, I, I think you understand what's going on. Why, why are you upset about it? And uh, God goes on to say, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at your door. It is, its desire is for you, but you must master it. I think this is, this is a, a, just a phenomenal little verse. I think it's chocked full of imagery, if you will. Uh, I think Cain knows 
that maybe something in his life is not quite right. And that, that his, his way of acting in the world and his act of worship are not congruent. Like they're, they're not in unity with one another. Now we would never, we would never like go out and live not appropriately and then come to church on Sunday and worship, right? Yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, that's, not what I'm, that's not what this passage is about. But I, I'm just saying, like, and this is a perennial struggle for humanity, uh, that we give ourselves in worship to God at, at a given time. And sometimes our lives, the way we live and the way we act, the things we say and think, don't come into alignment with the way we're supposed to, to live if we are worshiping truly. Because worship isn't just this, by the way. You know that. Anyway, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God's saying, you know what you need to do. I, yeah, just, you need to do it. And in this part I love. If you do not do well, sin is lurking at your door. It is, its desire for you is for you, and you must master it. Are, are any of you fans of Calvin and Hobbes, the, the cartoon? Uh, it's, it's by far my favorite cartoon ever. So Calvin is a little boy, and he is, I don't know, like kindergarten, first grade, maybe something like that, yeah? And he's got a stuffed bear named Hobbes, who's a tiger. Well, um, uh, Hobbes is only really stuffed and inanimate when, when the parents are around or anybody else around. The rest of the time in the cartoon, Hobbes is fully, fully functioning, a tiger, in, in all kinds of ways. And uh, Calvin doesn't take Hobbes to school with him. Because, uh, you know, you're not allowed to take tigers to school. And uh, so, so every day when Calvin comes home, he walks into the door and outsprings Hobbes and tackles him and just smears him all over the, the inside of the, inside of the, the door or, or right outside onto the, to the ground. And, and this happens so often. And, and like that is the image that I have of Cain at this moment. Uh, that sin is personified as Hobbes. That takes some of the scariness out of it, I guess. Sin is personified as a, as a tiger with sharp claws and teeth who hasn't eaten in a week. And it's, it's just waiting. It knows you're going to come. And at just the right moment, poof. Okay, that's not meant to scare you. Uh, I just think that's the image that... that is evoked here. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've had those moments, right? We've had those moments where maybe God has said to us, um, you know what you need to do. If you do well, it'll be good. If not, this is what's going to happen. Uh, I, but it doesn't leave us kind of in a bad place, right? Its desire is for you, but you must master it. I think, I think Cain knows what's in his head and what he wants to do. He knows the jealousy and the anger and the hatred that he has for his brother and the frustration that that even though he's doing what he should do, some of the things anyway, that it isn't enough and, and God isn't pleased with him. And God knows that he has the ability to not, well, to not be that way. Uh, that God knows that, that Cain, if he really wants to, if maybe he submits himself to, to God and, and relies on what God is wanting to do in him, that he doesn't necessarily have to get tackled by the tiger. 
Or if he does, that he's able to defend it and, 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 and live to fight another day. I think God in this moment is cheering for Cain. He's saying, you can do it! Well, what does Cain do? Uh, He doesn't master the tiger. Like, he walks out the door and Hobbes mauls him and he goes out into the field where there nobody is and he kills his brother. I think this had to be premeditated just because I've never really wanted to kill somebody, but I I would imagine you'd have to work yourself up to that. Uh, He kills his brother. It's, It's done. Afterwards, God comes to him and says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now, uh, flashback to Adam and Eve, right? Like, uh, after they eat the fruit, they go and hide, and God calls them like, where are you? He already knows. But this next question, uh, with the question, where is your brother Abel? And, And Cain's response, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain knows where Abel is. I even think that Cain knows that he should be his brother's keeper. <laughs> I think that, that this statement is as old as humanity. That over and over again, we do things against uh, friends or enemies even, and God says, where, where are they? What have you done to them? What, what in the world have you done to them? And we respond, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Have, have you ever said that about your actual physical siblings? I guess I'm the only one. Um, I, think, I think if we're, if we're attentive to the story that follows this, all the way to Jesus, we have been asking, am I my brother's keeper? And the question Always, or the answer always is yes. You are your brother's keeper. Uh, not in a controlling, manipulating kind of way, but in a way that says, You're my brother. This could be metaphorical too, right? And I'm going to make sure that Hobbes the, the tiger doesn't maul you. I'm going to make sure that you are learning and loving and growing uh, into what Christ wants you to be. The Lord said, What have you done? Listen to you. Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Uh, He knows. He knows. Uh, We get to the punishment, though, and uh, let me pull up here. I didn't have it in the slides. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to you from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield, its, you, yield to you its strength. Fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so Cain gets punished. Now, what do we do with murderers today? Like, do we make farming harder for them? 
Because that seems to be like what his punishment is. Like maybe just a, a little banishment, but we'll find out later. He, he's not fully alone because he ends up getting married and having, having children and founding a city. And, and so like, this story just doesn't seem fair, right? Uh, that Cain should be punished in a far greater way. That, he, that, that God has not given him fully what he deserves, at the very least, I think we've maybe been trained to say, he's killed someone, he deserves to die. And yet, and yet that's not what happens. I think that this is where, this is where the grace comes, right? Cain doesn't get what he deserves. And he gets far more than he ever really could deserve in the grace and faithfulness and mercy of God. Cain doesn't, doesn't deserve to get off this easy. He sounds like a spoiled brat uh, going forward, verse 13, or 18, whatever it is. 13. Uh, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and anyone who meets me may kill me. This is, this is, this, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You killed a guy. Like, I, your, your children, ah, it's, it's not fair. You punished me this way. What is it? When my children do that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to punish you harder now. Right? <laughs> you want to see not fair. No, I, I really, well, maybe. I'm getting glared at. Wow. Uh, that's not what God does, right? He's, he's worried. Cain is worried that, that, that he can't stand it. And he's worried, he's worried that because he took someone's life, that someone else will take his life. Like, that's just, it's, it's phenomenal. Then the Lord said to him, uh, after he said, you know, someone's going to kill me. Not so. <laughs> Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. <laughs> Again, in the midst of murder in the midst of a tainted heart that leads to likely like you know uh, unfaithfulness and not giving worshipful sacrifices in the right kind of way before all this happens in the midst of a heart that, that's really broken and really only cares about himself God offers protection God offers protection. This, this story has made me think a lot about how the Bible has been used in the past uh, to bring condemnation on, on folks. Like, I, I feel like, I, like I've, I've never actually ever taught or preached on this particular passage of scripture. And so it's, it's been enlightening for me. But I feel like, I don't even know, if, I probably have heard a sermon but I feel like there's, there's, there's a lot of people who would take this thing and say, look, 
Like this is, this is where sinfulness leads and sin is crouching at your door ready to maul you and you better be scared of it and you better do all the things and all these rules so that you don't succumb to the sin that is outside. You can't do this and this and this because that gets you closer and closer to the door and if you even stick your little toe out there, don't think that's what this passage is asking of us or telling us how to think. I think this passage says to us, in the midst of our sinfulness, there is grace and forgiveness. At the same time, there's accountability and justice, hopefully. We've got to hold those things together, right? It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, God's grace. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about our church and what we're trying to do and what I, what I need from church and what I think there's a lot of folks around here that need. And it's a, it's a place, hopefully, where we receive this same kind of story, this same kind of treatment, where we say, you've killed somebody, but I'm not going to let anybody touch you. You've been bad, you've been unfaithful, and yet I'm going, to, I'm going to advocate for you even as I'm going to help you deal with the consequences of your behavior. That it's a place where, where it doesn't matter like what you are or who you are or what you've done, that you come here and we don't say, you have to be afraid of all the sinful things and conform to us or we don't want you to be a part of us but that it's a place that says, I'm just as broken and unfaithful as you. I am a recipient of God's grace and mercy. Let's figure out how to do better together with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sometime in elementary school, um, our teacher read to us a book, and I have no idea what the book is. I can see little bits of the illustration in my mind. So it was like a you know, picture book. And the story goes like there, there was a, a conversation between the wind and the sun. And there was a man walking down the street and he had a, like an overcoat on and a hat and maybe a scarf. And the sun and the wind entered into a conversation and a bet about who could make the man take off his coat and hat first. And the wind, the wind went first. And the wind blew. Started out small, a little bit. Started going harder and harder and, and until the wind had thrown everything that it could at the man. And all the man could do in response to that wind was like pull his coat tighter and his hat farther down and, and try to get out of it. And so finally it becomes the sun's turn. And all the sun has to do is shine. The clouds part, the wind dies down, the light is there, and you know what it feels like to be a warm day, even if it's a little crisp in the air. Like that, that sun just, it makes you want to be open to it and to just soak up all the vitamin D that you can. And so the, in the story, the man takes off his hat, he 
takes off his coat, and he merrily walks down the road. I don't know if that's how the story ends. In my mind, it does. Or if I just made this all up in my own memory. I, I don't think so, though. I think, I think churches try to use passages like this, uh, ones that point to the, the judgmental nature of God, uh, that play on people's guilt and fear, and says, and, and we throw absolutely everything at them <laughs> to try to get them to take off their coat and their hat. And all they do is wrap up tighter and walk out the door, never to come back again. I think, I think what this passage calls us to do is to be the sun, to come out to open up to shine our light and our warmth on the people around us so that they too open up and receive that light and warmth and the life that it brings. This is what we can be. This is who God is calling us to become. I, I want this church. I'm saying I. I think, yeah, it's me. But I think it's God too. And we can talk about it because I don't want to ever, we figure these things out together. At least that's my hope. I, I, want us, I, w- I want our church to be the bright, sunshiny, warm place. Not sappy and over-sentimentalizing over and not just washing over people's brokenness or all those things, right? Grace and mercy, justice, accountability, together. Grace and mercy first. I want it to be a place where those who have had really bad experiences with the church and who have left, saying, if that's what Jesus is, I don't want anything to do with that. I want us to be a place that's safe <laughs> so that you can, you can be like, man, I but I really would like you to come to this place and we can figure it out together. Uh, let's be a place where people who have just heard all of the nasty, crazy things that Christians have said and done, especially lately, and say, we are not that. We're not the wind that blows hard. We're the sun that shines brightly and we want you to bathe in that light as well I think at the end of the day we read this passage and then we put it up besides this meal right Uh, the act Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that this meal symbolizes is not wind it is not fear and guilt. It is bright sunshine. And I think that as we receive this, if we come and we say, Lord, help us to be the sun, to be the light, that something happens. It's not, not magic. We'll call it the grace of God that nourishes us and then sends us out. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you um, for asking us to examine ourselves in relation to these characters. Thank you that, that in response to Cain's sinfulness, his selfishness, his self-pity at the end, that your response was not one of vengeance and wrath, but that your response was one of grace and mercy and faithfulness and accountability. Or as we come to your table today, uh, we come knowing that we maybe have a tendency to be, well, not the bright, sunshiny things you've made us to be. We come and we confess our failings, our own brokenness. We confess our own selfishness. We lay it at your feet and we ask that you would wipe it away and take it away and fill us full of your bright light, sunshine, and warmth. That as we go back out into the world and love our neighbor, that we would do so fully with the radiance of your son with the grace and the mercy that we have received. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit TakeItToTheHeart.com.